Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of Friday, May 20th, through Sunday, May 22nd, uh, 2022. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Things are definitely warming up uh, in my part of the country. Allergy season is starting to subside, though not quite 100% gone yet. Um, we gave my dog a super short haircut uh, to deal with the heat. Um, things are, you know, relatively quiet this weekend before the Memorial Day weekend coming up. Though that doesn't mean there's nothing to talk about at the box office by any means. In first place, for the third week in a row, we have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, dropping 48% in its third weekend to $32.3 million in 4,534 theaters, per theater average of 7,125, and a running total of $342.7 million domestically to date. Add to that $461 million overseas, and it sits at $807 million worldwide, crossing that $800 million mark. Now, this is a bit of a redemption compared to other MCU films that also had similarly steep second weekend drops. If you remember, Multiverse of Madness is the third steepest drop in the MCU at 67%, behind No Way Home and Black Widow at about 67.5-68%, but it is steeper than Eternals, Age of Ultron, and Civil War, which in their second weekends dropped 59% to maybe 62% for Eternals. Now, in the third weekend, though, Multiverse of Madness dropped only 48%. Um, on, in, as a comparison, you know, setting aside No Way Home, who had a very solid 32% drop in its third weekend, uh, Black Widow had dropped 55% in its third weekend uh, after the 68% drop, so you know, definitely much worse. Um, you know, Eternals dropped 59%, Age of Ultron 50%, and Civil War 58%. So the steeper second week drop was somewhat compensated by the not-as-steep uh, third week drop for Multiverse of Madness. Um, so people who were thinking it might not make $400 million domestically are probably, well, probably overacting a little bit um, to that second weekend drop, and it's probably going to still hit $400 million, though it'll be close. Uh, it's also worth noting that at this point in time, Multiverse of Madness has become the highest-grossing film of 2022 so far, surpassing Batman's $769 million worldwide. Uh, we'll see where it ends up once it comes to Disney+, Plus, uh, reportedly on June 22nd, um, so that, and that's going to only be a 48-day theatrical window coming to streaming, uh, which, you know, compared to Eternals, having a 70-day window uh, in theaters uh, is, is pretty interesting to think about. Uh, though I guess part of that might be also the fact that um, you know we do have a um, we do have uh, Thor: Love and Thunder coming out uh, later this summer as well. Uh, in third place, in second place, we have a new opener film, *Downton Abbey: A New Era* from Focus Features. It's a sequel to the surprise hit of tw of 2019 that opened to 31 million dollars. Now, this one didn't quite fare as well as the original, made only 16 million dollars in 3,820 theaters, per theater average of 4,189 dollars. Adding to the 36 million dollars it already made overseas, that puts it right about 54 million dollars worldwide to date. Um, th now, this you know, 16 million is about a 50 percent drop domestically from the first film, but there are still highlights in this performance. First off, audiences over 55% definitely over-indexed, making up 58% of the audience and 73% women, which is pretty astounding in an era where post-pandemic most of the most successful movies skew younger and male. 
Secondly, while the budget of this is a bit higher as period pieces tend to be at $40 million compared to the original's $20 million, probably due to, I think, uh, inflated pe by pandemic precautions, um, it still has a relatively de uh, modest budget um, compared to you know, blockbusters out there. And it, it did better than Focus Features' fiasco of $90 million for The Northman, which opened below this. Um, someone also pointed out on the box office subreddit this is probably what someone expected given that, uh, you know, the series, the, the sequels to spin-off movies of television series rarely have a great hold compared to the original spin-off. Uh, for example, the second Sex and the City movie dropped 45% uh, compared to the original, for example. Uh, in any case, this was about in line with what people project, projected, maybe a little bit on the lower end. Um, so not a horrid miss, especially with an A cinema score and an 85 critics, 97% audience on Rotten Tomatoes. So you could see maybe this long holiday weekend, some people coming out to see this one as counter programming. Um, as a universal film, it will have a 17-day theatrical window uh, before it's available on VOD. Uh, in third place, The Bad Guys continues to be the de facto kids movie with a stunning 13% drop in its fifth weekend, making 6.1 million in 3,705 theaters, per theater average of 16.57, and a running domestic total of 74.4 million dollars. Add to it 110 million dollars overseas, and you have 184.4 million. Against it's about 80 million dollar production budget, which seems pretty solid all around. Uh, in fourth place, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 has a similarly solid drop uh, in its seventh weekend, dropping only 12% uh, to $4 million in 2,943 theaters, per theater average of $13.90 and a running total of $181 million to date domestically. Overseas, it made $187 million, so it's about $368 million worldwide against a $390 million budget. Um, big win all around. Notably, Sonic is coming to Paramount Plus, or I think it already has come to Paramount Plus earlier this week, um, so the numbers, I think, drop off a little bit steeper in next week's but then again the lost city which i saw this past week on paramount plus so i'll be talking about that later this episode um that only dropped eight percent this past weekend despite being available already um and made a 1.5 million dollars which is you know just out of that 100 million dollar mark so who knows how much you know more track the hedgehog has to run maybe the fact that paramount plus isn't the biggest uh subscribe uh or it has the biggest install base might mean that you know being available on vod on paramount plus might impact might not have as much of an impact as it might otherwise. In fifth place, we have another new film from A24, Men, uh, directed by Ex Machina's director Alex Garland and starring Jesse Buckley. This one nabbed $3.3 million in 2,212 theaters for a per theater average of $14.89. A critic reception to this was somewhat positive, 75%, but as with many elevated horror films, uh, audience seemed to see the driver that didn't seem to be what people were looking for. It got a rare D-plus rating from CinemaScore, though granted Hereditary, which is one of the most beloved uh, horror films, elevated horror films of recent years, also got a D-plus, but it also only has a 44% from, uh, from Rotten Tomatoes audiences. Uh, compared to Garland's past films, this is probably his worst performance yet. Uh, Ex Machina, when it went semi-wide in 1,200 theaters, made $5.3 million, uh, and Annihilation opened in 2,000 theaters to 11 million dollars so this one came below box office post forecast of 5.4 million this weekend not sure what the budget was but if it was anything like x machina's 13 million dollars though i don't think from what i've heard not a ton of cg works maybe less than that but in any case this one might be a bit tougher to break even even theatrically um with that 3.3 million opening 
And then just outside the top five, you know, of course, I already had to talk about everything everywhere all at once. Also from A24, this weekend, they reached I probably their ultimate goal at this point of, uh, first off, they dropped only 6% uh, in 1576 theaters to make uh, 3.1 million. And actually, uh, it lost 150 theaters this weekend. So its per theater average actually went up from 1923 last week to 1990 this week. Now, it still hasn't had a weekend below 3 million yet after opening to $6 million. And that's nine weeks in. Um, so as a result, it's now, again, officially at $52 million domestically, and officially now at A24's highest grossing film ever, surpassing Adam Sandler's pre-pandemic holiday film, Uncut Gems, which had some real Oscars buzz to it. So, you know, that's definitely an accomplishment to do for, like, a, what, mid-March uh, release. Um, I mean, honestly, there's not much to say here beyond congratulations to the entire team involved in this clear passion project that just happened to be financially successful. Can't wait to see more of what the everyone involved does. I think Michelle Yeoh, Kei-Hui Kwan, and Stephanie Su will be reunited for this Disney Plus's uh, American Born Chinese television series. Um, in any case, we'll just see how much further the rocket ship can go before it comes to VOD on June 7th. I believe it's available online in another country at this point, but here in the States, um, you know, I think probably the upper limit is probably $60 million at this point uh, with this weekend and the next. Um, so yeah, um, outside the top five also, you know, we have the Morbius watch. Um, so, you know, so far it made about $74 million domestic, $163 million worldwide, which is still just below the break even of its $75 million budget. But I think that, I know, um, I think it more than some, myself included, thought it would eventually end up making. I mean, it's made more than Zero Leto's other recent box office film, uh, House of Gucci. Um, we also have the aforementioned The Lost City, like I mentioned, you know, whenever it hits $100 million, probably sometime this week, if not this weekend, uh, Samuel Bullock will have hit a, a $100 million film in each of the last four separate decades, which is no small feat. Um, also, last from last weekend, uh, Firestarter in its second weekend dropped 48%, not the worst dropped, but down to $1.9 million, or about $7 million uh, domestically to date. Uh, fun fact, I didn't report uh, last, this time last week, but its $3.8 million opening is actually the seventh worst opening of at least 3,000 films in history and the worst such, uh, for, uh, uh, such film for Universal. Uh, equally as disappointing, Family Camp from Roadside Attractions dropped 37% despite adding 200 theaters this weekend, so uh, definitely uh, you know, the lack of marketing there definitely didn't help. Uh, overall, total box office this week was $75.5 million. Uh, this coming long weekend, we have, of course, uh, Top Gun Maverick, starring Tom Cruise from Paramount. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes is really loving this one, 97% from critics, and plus apparently a five-minute standing ovation at Cannes. Um, box office pros has it forecasted from 98 to $125 million uh, for the three-day weekend, though, of course, we do have the four days to look forward to. Uh, Fandango's announcement also, also announced that it's on track to be top, uh, Tom Cruise's all-time top pre-seller film, and it also looks like it's going to be top, uh, the widest opening of all time in Hollywood history, 4,732 theaters this weekend, taking the record from Lion King in 2019 at 4,725. Uh, Post-pandemic, the highest, uh, the widest release has so far been Doctor Strange at 4,534 theaters. In addition to Top Gun Mavic, we have some adult, uh, animation films. We have uh, Bob's Burger, the movie coming out, uh, has 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. But given that it's uh, for a, a spin-off movie of uh, off of an adult television show that had its heyday probably six, five to six years ago at this point, um, it's not going to be the biggest opening. Maybe six to ten million dollars over the three days, according to box office pros. 
And again, we do have Monday off, so the four days of these will be higher. Um, and the next week's episode will probably be, you know, I'm already doing it not every, every Tuesday, but you know, we'll definitely wait a little bit to account for the Monday numbers. Uh, moving to overseas, there's not too much to talk about. Uh, Uncharted from Sony finally managed to sneak past that $400 million mark, uh, 400, point se- $400 million seven to be exact. Um, over in Korea, a local film, The Roundup, made $21.1 million US over the weekend, the 29.1 including previews, um, which is actually the second highest film of the year in Korea behind Doctor Strange. Actually, I did mention this beyond, beyond top five earlier, but it actually released here in the US in about 15 theaters or so, so to 100 and 12 point um um, you know, to one hundred and twelve point eight thousand dollars for a per theater average of seven thousand five hundred twenty-four, which is actually the highest per theater average of this weekend. Um, so yeah, that's pretty, pretty, pretty uh, cool to see. Uh, overall, uh, over in Japan, Shin Ultraman repeated at number one uh, in its second weekend, making three point eight million for for in its second weekend. Um, that beat out the anime movie of the quintessential quintuplets television anime series, two point oh nine million dollars over the weekend, three point oh five including pre. Views, um, though the quints were in about a third of the total number of theaters as Ultraman, so you know a higher per theater average is there. Uh, speaking of anime movies, uh, Makoto Shinkai's next film, Suzune no Tojimari, uh, it's coming out December, I believe, in Japan. It's set to be released early 2023 by Crunchyroll. Uh, given how well they managed the Jujutsu Kaisen Zero International rollout, uh, that bodes well, I think, for uh, the latest Makoto Shinkai films uh, international release. Uh, over in Japan, you know, things still haven't really come back yet, uh, box office-wise. The top-grossing film this weekend was actually a re-release of a romantic drama called Love Will Tear Us Apart from last year, making $5.9 million this weekend. Uh, the top Hollywood film continues to be The Bad Guys in second place, uh, making $5 million for a running total of over $25 million there. And also, I missed this last weekend, but apparently Marry Me, you know, the Jennifer Lopez film from, and Owen Wilson film from earlier this year, uh, opened in China to about $300,000 total. Uh, not the best performance, but it was able to push it past $50 million worldwide. Uh, the whole situation with China has gotten to the point where actually, um, you know, up to this point, China has been ahead of the U.S. box office because of a strong start to the year. But, you know, with, with the whole situation reversed, U.S. basically back to normal, China now back in lockdown again. Um, it looks like the U.S. is going to overtake the box office, uh, Chinese box office, for the first time in two years, uh, making $2.38 billion at this, as of last weekend um, versus China's $2.43 billion. So in the next couple of weeks, it's probably going to overtake it. Uh, compared to 2021, you know, all markets are now pacing ahead of where they were this time last year, aside from China, Hong Kong, Russia, because of Ukraine, uh, and Taiwan. So we'll see if China is able to reopen by the end of the year and if Avatar is going to come back and you know, keep it on the top or if the U.S. will take the crown back. Um, that's it for box office, you know, numbers per se. But you know, there are still some headlines beyond the numbers. Um, you know, we, in the past we've reported on streaming numbers, especially as you know, as as day and date releases were a thing. Not doing that so much often. But one interesting thing to note is that from Nielsen, um, you know, they basically, you know report out, you know, how different streaming services are doing and which uh, films are doing the best across all streaming services. Up to this point, Warner Brothers has not been broken out because they haven't opted into the Nielsen reportings. Um, now, they apparently, they are for the first time ever, which I think shows some confidence uh, from HBO Warner on where they are in the streaming, ser- in the streaming world landscape right now. 
Speaking of uh, HBO Max, uh, you know, it looks like David Saslov, their new CEO, um, upon thinking over, you know, he has to finally relieve $3 billion in cost-saving measures. Uh, part of that is, uh, you know, I think he's planning on being very much strict with the budget for the HBO Max original films, uh, which includes the DC film Wonder Twins. Reportedly, it had a budget of $75 million, uh, but, you know, I think he has something a cap of $35 million for those films, which makes sense given that, you know, there's limited monetization methods for uh, HBO Max original films um, so you know that that one is, is on the chopping block uh, reportedly in the eight in the uh, Wall Street Journal profile he wants to focus also on the theatrical releases uh, and also revive the Harry Potter franchise among other things and now over on the Sony side, you know, it looks like Bad Boys for Life, uh, or sorry, not Bad Boys for Life, Bad Boys, Bad Boys 4, uh, why did they use the Bad Boys for Life on the third film? Anyway, that is still in development, uh, despite the Will Smith Oscar situation, um, though we still don't have any details on when that's going to be coming out. Um, but speaking of Oscars, you know, there is, you know, since my Oscars Death Race podcast is on hiatus for now, um, in addition to it being Cannes Film Festival this week, and, you know, keeping an eye out on who's going to get picked up for distribution here, um, the Academy has released both its dates for next year's Oscars as well as some qualifying rules adjustments. Uh, the Oscars will take place in mid-March next year as opposed to late March earlier this year or in late February uh, in 2020. Um, in addition, they are returning the requirement that the film have a theatrical release before a streaming or digital release to be eligible. Um, now, it used to be that you know, you know, during, uh, you know, during the pandemic, obviously, they allowed for uh, streaming-only releases um, given the state of the world, um, but the group for to the pre-pandemic requirement that have a theatrical release. Um, it looks like based on the language I'm seeing online that they are allowing for day and date releases. So something comes out on streaming, but also comes out in theaters, it will be eligible. Um, it just needs to have that theatrical component to be part of that first run obviously excluding for uh, film festivals and such. Um, the biggest film I believe this would have affected is Turning Red from Pixar since it's released on Disney+, Plus. but it looks like Disney got ahead of this by a lot, by giving it a one-week run at their own and operated theater, the El Capitan, uh, in Hollywood at the same time it released, so it should still be eligible for Best Animated Feature, among others. Now, as before we go, like I mentioned, what I've been watching is uh, The Lost City, so a quick review on that. I'll probably try to watch Top Gun Maverick this weekend as well as Sonic 2, so this is going to be a paramount uh, couple of weeks for me. Uh, anyway, uh, Lost City 2, Lost, The Lost City, right, I think in a nutshell, you know, it's basically what you've seen before. You've seen this romantic tropes, you've seen a little bit of the adventure stuff like Indiana Jones, uh, uh, Lara Croft, and Tomb Raider. Um, not quite so much on the action element, much more on the com comedic element here, um, you know, which, you know, I... You know, I've, I've, I've known of Channing Tatum's comedy chops, but here I think is probably one of his funniest films he's done in a really long time. I think his chemistry with Sandra Bullock um, and plus his own individual characters characterization is just pretty hilarious to see all around. Um, but even more so, I think the side characters of Daniel Radcliffe and Rad Pitt, um, you kind of, you know, it's been a while. You know, obviously, we saw it in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but you just... I, I, I've always forgotten, I always forget just how funny Brad Pitt can actually be being that super macho dude. So we'll see how he does uh, with Sony's bullet, bullet train later this year. And then for Daniel Radcliffe, I mean, obviously since Terry Spotted, he's done all sorts of crazy stuff and he's just very much leaning into, I think, stuff that he'll have fun doing, um, which is why we're looking forward to this weird owl. Uh, but, you know, him playing this, like, you know, British aristocrat, you know, you know, mogul or whatever. It's just, you know, leading into that fun. I think I really enjoyed that from him. So, um, you know, overall, I would say, you know, the accent and all that, not the not the best or whatever, right? They, again, it's very predictable plot beats, but um, still 
amusing enough, entertaining enough, you know, didn't really break the mold or anything, but didn't flump, fumble anything either. So overall, I probably like a three out of five overall. Um, so definitely worth worth watching, especially if you have Paramount Plus. And with that, I think that's a wrap for this week's episode. Uh, Super Mario Bros. has to cover via bo- email boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Our show is on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, any of that helps. Tell a friend. If you're looking extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon. Links to all of that will be in the show notes. Numbers in the show come from dnumbers.com. Intro and outro music from Kevin MacLeod at incompetent.formulas.io. Editing production provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Yeah.